Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. So Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you tonight, and uh, just thank you for this evening, and Lord, every week it seems there's uh, new folks and just a unique feel and I just thank you for that, Lord. I just I thank you for this house and, and how every night there's prayer going up and there's answers coming down. And I uh, just thank you for the worship that we've just um, uh, been a part of, Lord. And we just continue in that same attitude of worship as we look to your word. Uh, and we pray, Holy Spirit, open the scriptures to us. Help us to understand this passage of scripture Uh, Even though I'm going to kind of fly through the notes, I ask that you would just make it applicable to us tonight, and and even in personal and specific ways. Uh, Help me to communicate and help us to hear your heart tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Okay, well, so we're going through a passage of Scripture, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. We've done this for a number of weeks and last week we got to Matthew 25, the parable of the, the wise and the foolish virgins. I don't know if you guys have studied this passage yet, but last week was part one of that parable. And then this week we're going to do part two. So last week, if you're interested in that message, that's on our website. You can go uh, look that up. Uh, I, I focused on the bridegroom part of this story. And then... This week, we're going to look at the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And uh, the first thing I want to do, though, is I want to just touch on one point in the introduction. That's on the front. I'm not going to go through all these notes, so praise God for that. Uh, but I have them there just if you want to study on your own or just you know go through them later. On the introduction, on that second bullet, I just wanted to make this point. Sometimes when we see a parable, we don't know what to do with it because Jesus is like saying a story, but he wants it to mean something over here. And you're like, what do you do with that? You don't want to completely over-spiritualize it. But you don't want to, also you don't want to throw out the story he's telling. So you read them parallel. So you kind of follow the story, like that's a real story, but then there's also parallel to that spiritual interpretations. So you kind of read it with an eye on both. This is a, a wedding scenario that's very believable. It, it likely was something that happened in their day. It's a night wedding. Uh, people were involved in the ceremony. But then he kind of takes it in a direction where it's very clear there's spiritual application. And so just when you get to parables in the New Testament, you kind of have to approach it that way. You just go, okay, I'm going to read the story just, just to know the story. And then I'm going to reread it to kind of go, what's that mean to me? And what did it mean to them? And and that's the sort of thing you do with a parable. And you never want to get too like, well, the, the oil definitely means that you just want to kind of keep your heart open to uh, a number of things that it could mean. 
But there is a main message that I think is very clear. So don't get kind of stuck in the weeds trying to interpret every little comma, but just get the main message of it and go, okay, that's what you wanted to say, and that's what I'm going to pray back to you. So just wanted to make that point uh, just to clarify how we handle parables, uh, and, and then I just wanted to read it. And so Matthew 25, right there on the notes, uh, 1 through 13, just going to read through it real quick. Uh, Jesus says, then, so he's talking about the end of the age still. Quick recap, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, he's teaching on the end of the age just before he returns for a second time. He says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Let me just say this. 10 virgins, what he's saying is these are 10 single women. They're young women. And so sometimes that throws people off like, what is this about? So the idea is very young women. The, in that culture, late or early teens, late preteens, so uh, women tended to get married early. And so he could be talking about 13, 14, 15-year-old girls here. So that's what he's talking about when he says the, the wise and the foolish girls. He says now in verse 2, the five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Verse 5 is important. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at, the, and at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Verse 7, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough. I don't know how they said no, but I just kind of say, no, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Quick recap here. This is a parable about a bridegroom who's coming again. Jesus is teaching, now this isn't something you commonly hear today, it's going to become more and more common. Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom. And I talked last week, I, I devoted the entire last week to, to um, sharing that Jesus has a heart of a bridegroom, like in real life, like I remember Mandy and I on our wedding day, and I was getting ready you know, for the ceremony, and it's, there's so many emotions, and oh my goodness, it's like, I'm getting married, what is happening? You know, There's so much excitement and nervousness, and what did I just sign up for? And all these things are swirling. And, and Jesus is saying, I, in my heart of hearts, look at the church in a similar way to that. I have such a love for the bride of Christ, for my people, that it's like a bridegroom's love for his bride on her on their wedding day, and there's there's nothing sensual to be uh, to you know to extrapolate from this passage. It's simply saying Jesus has such a passion and a and a love for his people that there is um, that he refers to himself as the bridegroom. 
And sometimes when people think of the end of the age or the end times, they think, okay, I got to get a chart. I got to figure out the dates. I got to line up all these things. And, and I think the best way to think about it is to think of Jesus is madly in love with his church and he wants to be with her. And if you start from there, things start to make sense because he's going to do so many different things on the way to that. And if you understand it's all because he loves his people, it'll make more sense. So he is very serious about his church and he's very serious about um, addressing evil and he's very serious about us maturing. And so there's things in his heart that he's moving us to. But if we if we don't view it as as in in a lens of like okay he loves us so desperately then we miss uh, much of the meaning of it so this parable actually turns out to be very important he's he is a bridegroom he has a, such desire for us for you in this room or, or maybe you're on facebook or on the recording he he loves you so much he would die for you i mean it's incredible and it's not just a theological point, it's real. It's not for the other guy, it's for you. He loves you that much. And so he's, he's wanting us to connect to that in this story. And he's wanting us to know his love is not just generic love, it's very real and personal. He loves us intensely, but we don't necessarily respond right just knowing that. And so that's kind of his, his second point that I'm going to get in tonight. So the recap is, he's saying, I'm the bridegroom that I love my church with such passion. I, I would die for my church, and I did. And now he's saying, knowing that I'm like that, I want you to respond rightly to me. Because there's a, a wise way to respond to him and an unwise way, a foolish way. And I don't know if we're supposed to look at it like five and five means half and half. I don't know if half the church is wise and half is unwise, but I know a lot of wise believers and I know a lot of foolish believers. And I just want to urge us to go way over to this wise category and make good decisions with our life. And we only get one shot. You know, I kind of joke around. I wish I was kind of a cat sometimes because they get the nine lives. Totally a joke. But we only get one shot at this. We get one life to really go after Jesus. And so I want to do that. And uh, so let's skip over uh, all of number three, or the first page. You just turn over to the second page. The first, the first part is just kind of developing the theme of the bridegroom. And so again, go, go through those uh, if, if you, you're interested in that. But I just want to really quickly touch on the wise and the foolish virgins and just really um, just make clear what he's talking about. There's so much we could look at. I, I don't have time to go through this tonight. I wish I did. But what Jesus is really getting at is there's, there's really two main camps of Christians or, or followers of Jesus. There are those who make wise decisions because they really want to know him and they really want to be close to him. And there's others who don't. And he recognizes that and so he speaks to it. He's, the, the wise virgins were those who prepared. They, they, and there's, again, so much we could talk about. But there was, the theme in the story was that the bridegroom was coming, but he delayed. And so all of the, uh, wise, or the, the wise and the foolish, they fell asleep. And, and then there was the cry at you know, midnight, get up, get, up, get back to your spot in the ceremony. And so I think sometimes what we do is we think, okay, 
when, when Jesus starts moving, then I'm going to get serious. When something really starts happening, or if I feel like he's really coming back soon, then I'm going to really get serious. And I've, for 20 years, I've watched this kind of conversation. You know, one day I'm going to get on fire for the Lord. Or when things settle down, I'm going to, you know, do this for Jesus. They, they never settle down. <laughs> things don't settle down. They just, get, they just get more busy. They just get, life gets more hard. And so don't wait for some big thing to happen or for Jesus to be coming back tomorrow or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Just start making wise decisions to seek Him, to pray, to study Your Word, to know Him right now. Don't wait for the big event. Don't wait for like the whole church to be telling you Jesus is coming back tomorrow or you know, whatever. Just start doing it day in and day out right now. Start to be wise. We don't have to wait for this. We can, we can start to be, you know, at the end of the parable, He says, be watchful. He talks about knowing him. And so we can do that right now. And so uh, there was the, the wise virgins that represent the professing followers of Jesus who prepared. And there was the foolish virgins who assumed things. They assumed there would not be a delay. They, they assumed that things would just kind of go on as they were, you know, they thought they would. And, 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 and they didn't. And I could, I could probably give a couple applications to this. Life's not going to go the way you think. <laughs> and the church is not going to go the direction you think. And God's not going to go the direction you think. And the future is not going to look like what you think. And so all the assumptions that we have in our, in our mind and in our heart that we sometimes don't even know we have, it's not going to look like that. Sometimes what people are doing is they're waiting for what they thought. They're waiting for like, I don't know, you know, someone said Jesus was coming back. And so, you know, I guess that 10 or 15 years ago, um, there was a guy who, who started to make waves because he was this mathematician that predicted based on his calculations that Jesus was coming back on like, I'm going to make up a date, you know, in like a month. And it really riled up so many people. And everybody was like, Jesus is coming back in a month. And I'm sitting here going, guys, guys, not even consistent with the Bible. Jesus said this is it's not going to, it's going to, there's other things that need to happen. And so, but it confused a lot of people. And so, it's, you know, the month came and nothing happened. And then that guy disappeared. And, and a lot of people were confused. A lot of people were like, well, what, what was that? There's going to be so much confusion out there there's going to be so many people making predictions jesus said when i come back it's going to be in the sky and it's going to be unmistakable it, you know he said in matthew 24 sometimes people are going to say look he's out there in the desert or go into this room he's over there the jesus of the bible is going to come back in the sky it's going to be unmistakable you're not going to ever wonder was that jesus okay i don't have time to elaborate on all the things that are going to happen before he returns but it's not going to be in secret over here. It's not going to be out and, you know, well, we're not really sure. No, when Jesus comes back, it will be an unmistakable, powerful, celestial event that no one will be able to mistake. No one will be able to go, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. And so we want to be wise. We want to carry our heart with wisdom. 
Um, I don't know if I want to get into too much on the, the lamp or the oil. What I do want to talk about, uh, let's go down to number nine. They all slumbered and slept. I don't know if that's supposed to be talking about their spiritual condition. I, th- I think what it's really talking about here more than anything is that there's this idea that the bridegroom tarried so long that the people in the ceremony fell asleep. Now, can you? I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding that went really late, but that, that's kind of almost ridiculous. If you've waited so long to, to you know, go through the ceremony that people are literally falling asleep, it says in the story that it was midnight. And I'm telling you this, if, if I'm at one of your weddings and it, you haven't finished it by midnight, I'm out of there, I'm going to bed. But the story is supposed to kind of just shock us a little bit. That's what parables do. They kind of have these eccentric details that kind of shock us. So they're all sleeping. They're all like, oh my goodness, this is, this is taking way too long. And then the bridegroom suddenly shows up. Then they're alerted. Then they go running out there and there's half of them who are useful and half of them who have no oil. I've been studying uh, church history lately, uh, revival history in particular. Um, in the early 1900s, some of you know about the Azusa Revival. Is that, do you guys understand? So you guys have heard, heard Azusa Revival? No? Yes? No? Okay, you guys have heard that. Renee, you, I've been talking about it. You've been hearing it. In the early 1900s, there was a conviction that Jesus was going to return imminently. It could be any second. And that's a good conviction to have. I mean, that keeps us, that keeps us pressing in. But there's a right and a wrong way to handle uh, how we view the return of Jesus. And, and one of the ways we want to think about it, back then... Uh, in that revival, that was one of the prominent themes of the revival was, you know, Jesus could come back any second. People began to interpret it in weird ways, though. Um, they began to say, well, Jesus is coming back soon, so no one should get married. Or Jesus is coming back soon, so, you know, you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. No, we continue to live our lives. We continue to make decisions. We continue to do what God's called us to do. But we have this conviction that, that Jesus is coming back soon. And... Uh, but what I've watched over 15, 20 years of ministry is some people who go, they get all into the Jesus coming back any second. He's coming back, you know, maybe in a, in a month or two. And when he doesn't come on their time frame, then they just give up altogether. And they, they go back to, you know, the world or they go back to not following Jesus passionately. And so I just want to make this clear. Whatever your conviction is on the return of Jesus, um, whether you believe it's soon or, you know, he tarries. And friends, he's tarried for 2,000 years. It, it, it could be years. It could be decades. It could not be. We don't know. Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, but he does call us to discern the season. But we don't know. And so whatever you believe, just keep your heart pursuing him. Keep your heart um, alive uh, even if there's delay, I had a number of um, people who I knew that were so into, you know, Jesus come back real soon. And when he didn't, a few years went by and then so they're no longer following the Lord. And so they misinterpreted how to carry their heart related to the return of Christ because some want him to come back soon because they're just bored. Well, he's not going to do that because we're bored. He's going to come back at the right time. 
He's going to come back when He's supposed to. And we're going to be involved in that. We're going to be praying. We're going to be worshiping. Actually, Peter speaks to this very issue in 2 Peter 3. Because the early church was deeply convinced Jesus would come back imminently. Jesus even said in the book of Revelation, surely I'm coming back quickly. And yet, surely I'm coming back quickly involves 2,000 years apparently because he has tarried for 2,000 years. And so we have to recognize it could be longer, it could be shorter. No matter what the duration is or no, no matter how long he tarries, we want to be wise. We want to search to know Him. We want to be passionate about pursuing Him um, uh, no matter the timing. And and guys, I want Jesus to come back as much as the next guy, but I've seen a lot of people carry their heart the wrong way. And they, they kind of got into this thing where they wanted Jesus to come back and He didn't, so now they're disappointed and they can't trust Him and all these things. We, we, no matter what the timing is, we pursue Him with all of our heart. Jesus spoke of a door at the end of the parable. The door, you know, the, the, the wise virgins, they went into the wedding ceremony. The foolish went off to go get their oil and it was too late. The door closed and no one could get into that ceremony. When they came knocking on the door, what does Jesus say? He says, I don't know you. Which is interesting because if you're following the story just as a story, those young women would have been either friends or relatives of the bridegroom. And so he would have known them, but he says, I don't know you. There was a disassociation. They were proven to be disingenuous believers because they didn't have oil, which represents knowledge of Jesus or closeness to him or intimacy with the Lord. I hope I'm not speaking too cryptically. He's using a parable to tell us, do not squander your life. Make wise decisions. And in, in, in part of wise decisions is devotion, prayer, Bible study, knowing Him. Because we don't want to get to the end of our life right at the, you know, the entrance to the, to, to the wedding, which is, speaks of the beginning of heaven. We don't want to get to that front door, so to speak, and him go, ah, I don't know you. We we weren't we weren't close. Like you didn't you didn't pursue me. Now this brings up like, okay, who's saved and who's unsaved? And this brings up theological questions. Here's the thing: I don't want to be hanging in the balance. I want to be all in knowing Jesus, and you do too. I want as much oil as I can get. I'm going a little over. I got about three minutes. Got to squeeze it in here. The, the, the young girls taking oil, that was, you know, they didn't have like Patagonia coats with all these pockets and you could just store oil. They just had a garment and they had to carry that big thing of oil with them. You know what I'm saying? So now they've got the one hand has the flask and the other hand has the oil. It's, it's, it's cumbersome to take oil. Okay, back then it was like they got to lug around this big old thing of oil wherever they go. It's not like, you know, a flashlight today and it fits into our keychain and it's easy peasy. No, this Jesus is saying they got one hand with an, a flask and another hand with oil and so they're just kind of walking around awkwardly with all this stuff in their hands. But that's important because to get oil, you have to embrace encumbrances. You have to make the decision, I know it's inconvenient, but I'm going to go pray today 
and I'm going to get oil and I'm, I'm going to be wise. And it would be easier not to pray. It would be easier not to go to house of prayer. It'd be easier not to have a devotional life. It'd be easier to, to not do any of that. But Jesus says, at the end, you're going to wish you did. Because that all adds up to knowing me. All those little Bible studies, all those little times alone with the Lord, those add up to close relationship with Him. And He's not saying, because you did all these prayer times, you're saved. No, He's saying, because you have spent all that time with me, you know me. We're close, we're friends. And those are the people that Jesus says, this is why I died, to be, to be with you, people who know me. And so we get one shot at life. We get one chance. And so let's, let's be wise. Let's not be foolish. Let's take oil. Let's make those decisions to get up in the morning or maybe a few more minutes at night or lunchtime and just spend time in the Word, just talk. Talk to the Lord. Help me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, when I first started, I remember when I first started praying, I was like 18 years old. I grew up Catholic. And so, I mean, prayer to me was like the old ladies handle it by the candles and we're good. You know, but when I really got lit up for the Lord, people began to tell me like, Derek, you like got to pray for real. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then one guy really challenged me. He said, Derek, you need to do an hour a day. What? You know, some, some guy, and the Lord used it in my life, but when I heard hour a day, it sounded like 20 hours a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, you know, and so I tried it. I tried it. I made it like seven minutes the first time, and then like 10 minutes the next time, and then two minutes the next day. And, but for 20 years, I've worked at it. I've been saved since 1999. It was the summer of 99. I surrendered my life to Jesus in a real way. You know, and months and years went by before I really got connected to the Lord. Um, and then someone challenged me, you need to get a prayer life. And so I tried. And friends, it's like you, you just try it. And, and as we're trying over the years, we're getting oil. We're getting to know him. The friendship is deepening. And then, oh my goodness, there was a day where I like prayed for two hours and it was fun. And then it was boring for a few days, and then it was cool one day, and then it was horrible for a while, and then it was fun again. And that's, that's what it looks like. And Jesus, the bridegroom, is looking at those people going, that's wisdom. To break through all that boredom and all the, the temptations that are flying around to try to know Jesus, it's worth it. Because there's coming a day at the end of our life, the door closes, there's no more, it's, it's all said and done. We're standing before the Lord, and he's either going to say, I know you, or I don't know you. There's just two possible explanations. And I want to be in that line where he's like, Kissner, I know you. Yeah, we're close. I don't want to be over in this line where he's just like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, oh, how painful. And, And Jesus, in another passage, even says there's going to be some people in this line, Lord, we prophesied, we we cast out devils, and we did all these miracle ministries, and he's I don't know you. And I I sometimes think, how can that be? I just don't want to take chances. I want to be over here in this this line where he's just like, we're good. You fought to know me. You know, I think of people like you, Renee. You're here faithfully nearly every night praying. And Joe is... And I look at that and I go, those are people fighting to know Jesus. It's not easy. 
there's costs. It'd be way easier to just sit on your couch and watch a movie. You know, and a lot of times I pray and then go home and watch a movie. But over the years, all those prayer times, all those devotional times, they add up and and it's like, we're, we're friends. Let me just conclude real quick. Again, I, I blew through these notes. I didn't even do them justice. I just want us to pray for grace to know Jesus. He is so in love with us. He proved it at the cross. And so we owe it to Him to make this effort to know Him in return, to be wise, to be watchful, to be obedient, to be prepared for what's ahead. And with that, I'll close in prayer and then I just then we'll circle up for a moment together. Lord Jesus, you taught us that you are the bridegroom. And you said there's going to be wise and there's going to be foolish. And so, Lord, we ask you tonight for that grace to be like those wise young women who took oil. Lord, I kind of blew through these notes, but I pray that you would make this real to hearts tonight. Make it more real to me. Make it more real to this house of prayer community and even the broader church in the community. We want to be people who are wise. We want to be watchful. We want to be obedient. We want to be prepared. So help us. And those gathered tonight, those on Facebook, we ask for added grace to respond to what you're saying to us. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.